The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 52, for May 8th, 2006. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I'm Dave. I'm here with John. Hi, John. Hi. Hi, Dave. Uh, and we've got a ton to go through this evening. We have, uh, well, of course, it's evening, morning, whatever it is for you. It's evening for us at the moment. Hopefully it will still be evening when the show's over because we've got a ton to go through. All I'll kinds of stuff. keep an eye on the clock. What's that? You'll keep, yeah. I'll keep an eye on the clock. Please do. That's right. And thank you to our, uh, our, our excellent listeners here for inviting us yet again into your home, office, car, restroom wherever wherever it is you choose to listen to the show so let's uh let's jump right into things here john with our we're we're basically answering reader feedback listener feedback all night uh we've got a couple of continuing conversations specifically the converting files thing we've had a couple of good suggestions on that in a in a uh, boot camp thing maybe that we'll get to uh but for now we will start with something new and it will be from Joe. Hey, John and Dave. Joe here in Raleigh again. Uh, had a comment for the listeners that I, that I actually finally remembered here. Uh, and it was it's with regards to uh, some of the new security features that were suggested as part of some of the exports that folks have seen in Safari and such with some of these, quote, new viruses that, are, that have become available on, on the Mac. But one of those suggestions was to go through and have a admin account that you literally just use for admin and change all your normal working accounts into non-admin accounts as an extra security step. So dutifully, I got around to doing that. And when the uh, recent 10.4.6 update came out and, and verified that, that it was solid, I attempted to go through my normal routine of, of using Carbon Copy Corner to, yep. to, to clone my hard drive to the second drive in, in my uh, G5 Mac. Uh, and once there, I usually reboot off of that and then apply the update to that. So if anything goes funky, then I can always go back to the one I had been working on for the last few months. Uh, well, in the process of trying to... That's actually really smart thinking, you know. Did you hear that? Did you catch that, John? Yes, using another drive to test the back update. out of... Yeah, that's interesting. Of course, it leaves you with no... If you decide the update works and then and then you do it on your main drive, it leaves you with no backup of of the way it was before but that but that's not a bad uh a bad little kind of litmus test so all right we'll, we'll go on with the question here trying to do this i found that i could not get a solid copy from carbon copy cloner as a clone uh this had worked flawlessly in numerous different versions of the updates before but this time would not work i went out to the web and pulled a uh, another uh cloning utility uh, tried the same thing, and it come back with an error indicating could not read source. And this was really kind of strange. So anyhow, what ended up being the issue was that if you are not logged in as the admin user when you try to do one of these clones, it cannot make a complete copy of everything, even though the routines tend to ask you, or at least Carbon Copy Cloner did, it asked you for the admin username and account so that it could do its thing and make the clone. But 
it still was not able, apparently, to access all information and hence would fail every single time on that. Now, this may be totally obvious to, to you guys and perhaps even some of the users, but I probably spent a couple of three hours over uh, a couple of days before I finally figured this out, and I thought it might be helpful to some of the listeners out there. Anyway, enjoy the show. Keep up the good work. Uh, probably the best podcast out there on Max there is, I think, probably. Well, thank you, Joe. That's actually very kind of you to say that. That's not why we played your comment, though. It, that is a good point. You know, with with all this uh, th- this re- renewed focus on security or new focus on security with the Mac, there's a lot of folks that are doing exactly what Joe's doing, uh, and it makes sense. I, I, I'm assuming you've you've how are, how well how are you running your machine, John? Are you are you doing the the non admin user for everyday tasks thing, or are you just throwing caution Absolutely. to the wind? Absolutely not. Oh, good. Okay, excellent. <laughs> I'm admin. I'm yeah. I've yeah. Uh, I've never changed from that, but I can. I know it's probably a good thing to do, but right. Well, especially I. Yeah. I mean, you have a need because you have multiple people. <laughs> what do you mean? There. I have I have multi in my head or at my house. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about your head. I mean, okay. I've, I've long suspected. But... <laughs> All right, stop the funny stuff. Yeah. Um... Someone's head. Um, so yeah, I, I, you probably have more insight than I do since I, I do not set up separate users. I'm just in there as myself and I'm in as an admin. Yeah. I, I, on my machine, I, well, I always set up an extra user for, uh, another admin user actually for diagnostic purposes in case something happens to my main account. But I, I leave my, I leave my main account, uh, as an admin account that there was actually an email discussion sort of going on amongst a, a couple of us, uh, a listener sort of tied Adam uh, Christensen from the MacCast and and John and I together on this discussion. And it, the point was, you know, if you're trying to drag something, the, the system makes it seem like the admin privileges do more than they actually do. In in 10.4, if you are in the Finder and try to drag something out of your applications folder, many times it will tell you that you have to authenticate to do that. Uh, that that's sort of misleading because it leads you to believe that the things in your applications folder are actually owned and protected by root. That's not the case. And this listener was very smart to point out if you go to the uh, terminal and delete the files there, they'll just simply go away uh, without having to, you know, authenticate or use sudo or, or, or whatever. And, and of course the listener then jumped to the, the conclusion that, well, because of that, what's the point of having an admin account? Well, there are many files, and they are specifically the files, many of them rather, that would make your Mac bootable, that live in directories you don't see, slash Etsy, slash private, places like that, that are only uh, modifiable by root. And though some of them are readable by the, by the entire system, some of them are not. You, you need to have root privileges in order to read them, and those do require you to type in your password. You cannot... Uh, unless you've activated the root user and are logging in as that, and that's a, a, a series of steps that you would have to go out of your way to take, uh, the admin account is still fairly protected. So, uh, I think I think you're I think you're okay. But as uh, as Joe pointed out for us, if you go ahead and 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 do take that advice, and it's you know it probably won't drive you crazy unless you're doing a lot of installs all the time. Uh, just remember that when you do your backups, that's what. Uh, that's what you're stuck with because you've got to go and and do the the whole uh, carbon copy cloner thing from the from the admin account. 
Otherwise, it's not going to work. Right, John? That's what I do anyways. And uh, one thing to note, uh, I don't think it was an issue with uh, uh, in this case, but there is this ignore ownership on this volume checkbox for non-boot volumes. Right. Which, if you are concerned about permissions, well, depending on what you want to do, I've, I've always kind of wrestled with why they have that. Well, I can, I can tell or, you, actually. Or that it causes confusion. <laughs> it, it can. Well, yeah, by default, I think it's checked, right? So that any FireWire drive that you mount, permissions are simply ignored. You know, you can read and write everything on the drive. The OS will let you do it. The problem is if you're using something like Carbon Copy Cloner to make a copy of your boot volume to a FireWire disk, you need to uncheck that box. Otherwise, it it won't be able to make a proper permissioned clone of your boot drive and things won't work right so yeah and i think the current version does notice that does it really good it should it should or a version of it says hey you 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 really want to yeah do this properly right that's right yeah all right well we have another permission thing from uh from james and we will jump right to that now hey dave and john this is james marino I emailed last week, and I promised that I would send in an audio comment, so here it is. Actually, this is more of an audio question. Is there a tool out there that will help reassign permissions? I'm an admin at work and very often run into permission errors when migrating users from one machine to another. I do check the ignore permissions on this volume when mounting an external disk, and I have tried setting permissions from within the Get Info window, but that never seems to work for me. Any help would be appreciated. Also, for the future, can I send in XSERV questions, or is that too geeky? Thanks so much. Well, it depends on how geeky it gets with the XSERV, but uh, John, j- neither John nor I, Mac. yeah, neither John nor I manages uh, an XSERV machine, so we may or may not be able to answer them. But you're free to send in anything you like. As far as I this have question, used one once. Oh well, there you Excellent go. Excellent form factor. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, with res- with regards to this question, I actually emailed James to try and get a better uh, understanding of what it was that he was trying to do. And what he told me was that he's running an admin, uh, you know, an admin account in 1046, and he's got, you know, an entire user folder, many, many files and folders within that one folder, copied from, you know, the XServe or, or some other machine to his local drive. And he's having read and write ownership problems. And he's trying to find a way to batch change permissions by choosing the folder, get info, set permissions, and then apply to enclosed items, but it doesn't work. It says that he doesn't have permission to complete the operation, but he's running his admin. Mm-hmm. Aha. So what, what's happening is it, when you're running his admin, as we discussed, you're not, you only have the ability to become root to do things system-wide uh, that would affect other users or the, or the system in general. You aren't always uh, set at that status. So, Presumably, these files come in with ownership uh, values that are different from whatever his admin account is. Therefore, he can't make any changes to it. If, you know, if you've got multiple users on your machine, even if you're an admin, you can't go you know muck around in their user directories unless you become root. So the trick to do this, there's there's probably an, a, a way to do it from the GUI, but. Uh, it, it's simple enough to open up the terminal. The first thing you want to do actually is open up uh, the system preferences login 
and figure out what your short username is if you don't know it already because you're going to need it for this uh, this little trip to the terminal. And then you head to the terminal and type sudo, S-U-D-O, and you, then you use a command called chone or change owner, C-H-O-W-N. And what that lets you do is change the owner of a given file, and it lets you change the group too, and that's sort of relevant but not really. Uh, and it allow you to do it recursively to many, many folders in a hierarchy all at once. And so you do sudo chone space dash capital R for recursive. Then you type your short username, a colon, and your short username again to assign the group properly, another space, and the path to the folder. And that's it. That'll, that'll, uh, it, it might take a couple of minutes as it, you know, traipses through the, the hierarchy that you've, that you've laid out there, but it will go and change all the, uh, the permissions. Of course, it'll ask you for your password first because you're using the sudo command, which of course you give it and then off it goes. Does that make sense, John? Did I get, did now, I get that right? I think you did. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm curious here. The, uh, the the one way to get root. I don't know if you've dabbled with this, but there, which is you know really instinctual, is you go to Net Info Manager. Yeah. Have you ever done this? Yes. And there's a security tab, and you authenticate, and then it says enable root user. That's right. Now, if you enable that root user, would that command then work properly? Well, you'd then have to you'd have to log out and log back in as the root user. When you do right. that, it it you know it it just adds another well it doesn't add another user to your system. It it sort of allows you to to use this root user that's that's sort of there but not there. Um, so yeah, you could do that, but you'd you'd wind up yeah, and then at that I guess at that point you could do it from the GUI because you're the root user and you can do whatever you want. Frankly, using the root user at, at, from the GUI. It's really not meant to remember the the finder and pretty much anything that you see in the in the GUI is just an overlay on top of Unix. It's I mean Apple's obviously done a very nice job with it, but it it's built to be used a certain way. You start mucking around in there as the root user, things start getting a little confused. The finder's not it, it's just not expecting to be able to to do all these things, or it's not expecting to be able to make the sweeping changes that root would let you make. I mean, you could, you could very easily at that point start deleting files that your system needs and never be able to boot again. So I do That's uh, bad. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't do it. Oh. I, I leave it disabled. The, the sudo command is enough for me. I'm, I'm fairly comfortable at the terminal. So that's, you know, that that's the, the caveat there is, is by not having the root user enabled, I need to do it. Now there was a, a, a utility years ago, by a fellow named Brian Hill called sudo, P-S-E-U-D-O, that would allow you to run certain applications in the GUI as root, and you could even relaunch the finder as root. Um, I haven't used that utility in a while, but but that would be another way to do it. Again, the, the same caveat applies. Be very careful with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there you go. You want to answer this uh, multiple apps question from Iggy here, John? Give that a whirl. Let's, uh... Iggy, Iggy says, I thought it was time to send in a question. No audio comment. I'm afraid my mic and mixer are at home. So the question, when I right-click slash control-click on a file and select open with, say, a movie file, picture file, or music file, the list contains all the apps that can open it as it should. But for some reason, some apps are listed in triplicate. For example, if I right-click on an MP3 file, I get iTunes listed as the default, then CastEasy is listed three times, iTunes listed another two, QuickTimes three times, Real player thrice, etc., etc., etc. Yeah. What's the answer, John? 
What a mess. How should I know? Because <laughs> you said you oh, researched this. I said I knew this. the answer to you this did. one. Yeah, you... um, well, one thing I would try is something called RC Default App. Have you okay. heard of this? I have not. Nope. It's a pref pane, um, you know, which is something that you can add to the system preferences. Um, okay. What's, what's really nice with the latest ones is that if you double-click on them, it, uh, rather than having to drag it over to a folder, it says, hey, you want me to install this? Oh. Um, but basically, it shows you a nice graphical table view of a lot of these mappings that are otherwise hidden in some obscure plist file. Okay. You know, in the depths somewhere. Okay. And this one has, and from what I could gather reading up very quickly on this, I, I did use it in the past. Um, I mean, this will handle a lot of things, but it has a section for applications. And from what I can see, this is what lets you change the application mapping. Okay. So if you click on an app in here, like for example, you know, I'll click on Acrobat Reader and it says, hey, I can handle all of these types of files. Right. So. Yeah, but um, why is it listing? Is is will this then clean up that list? Uh, you know, because I I see this too, where I'll right click on something and see the same app listed multiple times. Now I have seen it where it's the same app but different versions of it, simply because they're littered on various hard drives I've got connected or whatever. Um, but I've also yeah. seen it where it's you know it looks like just the same app over and over again. Yeah, from what I can gather, this this will allow you to edit those or, or uncheck those mappings. Mm. So I think if it's a mess, it'll come up in this as showing the item multiple times. I, I didn't it. have that specific problem come up. Got it. But this is something that lets you change a whole bunch of, you know, like internet mappings, you know, what's your default web browser, email browser, stuff like that. Some of this huh. is in other places, but it's kind of nice that this has, um, has it all in one place. Very you know, cool. what app to launch when you insert certain types of media, uh, what to do with certain URL, bleh, certain URL types, okay. Okay. Um, et cetera. Huh. So Very that's... Cool. Um, that's something we'll, of course, link to, but it's yep. a very nice utility. It lets you get at the guts, with, uh, but, but still maintain some, <laughs> some GUI. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Huh. I'm looking at the screenshots here, and, and it actually looks like it might be relatively, uh, relatively intuitive, and that's a good thing. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you, of course, if you want your question answered, you can email it to macgeekgab at macobserver.com, Skype it into macgeekgab, or... Uh, Phone it in to 206-666-GEEK. Geek. Yep. And I believe, uh, let's see, where are we going here? Now what? <laughs> Hit me. Uh, Joe, and it may be the same Joe, has a tech support question, so let's listen. Hey, John and Dave. Nope. This is Joe from North Carolina. Different I Joe. I had a question about uh, Apple's tech support. You may, or some of your listeners might have run into this problem. I called Apple to ask them about a very technical question uh, regarding Final Cut Pro, um, something that only like a real power user or somebody who had helped design the program would be able to answer. Um, and I hadn't had any luck on the support boards. And the technical support representative informed me that my question was beyond the scope of Apple's guaranteed technical support for my, for my product. Um, he even referred me to the boards, even though I told him repeatedly that, that my question couldn't be answered by people on the boards after repeated tries. But I know that someone at Apple would know the answer because it had to do with um, the, the technical design of the program. Um, but he gave me the runaround, and I never was able to get someone on the phone who can answer the question. Uh, so I wanted to know if anyone else had had that experience um, getting denied by Apple tech support. 
All right, well, uh, great show, and I look forward to the next one. I uh, I listened to the last third of your previous podcast uh, in my birthday suit. I slipped my <laughs> boxers off and walked around the house naked wow. as the day I was born. Great show. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. <laughs> Yeah, we're well, we'll just that. we'll just sort of let that linger. Um, no, no, please. <laughs> well, I, I have on? I have sort of a, a, a general response here. D- do you have something specific uh, about his? Yes, I do. Okay, well then go. There, there happens to be a product from Apple because because I have perused every now and then uh, the request of coworkers um, who are wondering about support. Gee, you know how ca- how can I get certain types of support? And, and they have something called. Apple Care Professional Video Support. Really? It's a special package, yes, and we will link to it, of course, but I'm looking at it right now. Direct access to Apple's professional video technical support team. And it mentions that this is probably a good option if you have programs such as Final Cut Pro. Interesting. And, so and I'm I've assuming actually, there's, a, there's a cost involved. Uh, oh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, that's okay, though. How much, yeah, how um, much is it? Well, all I see you know. here is seven ninety nine. I'm going to assume that's a for a year. Okay. Okay. But it would sound to me that's probably kind of pricey for an individual who has an advanced question. Yeah. Um, but if you're a video house, then something like this is you know just the cost of cost of doing what you got to do. Yeah. So. Um, well, and, so and, I, I did find that I, I was I hadn't seen that in the past. I, I know they have they're always coming up with you know new creative uh, Apple Care programs. And yeah. This is one of them, I guess. Yeah. It, well, and. My feeling when I, and I had no idea about this. That's actually fantastic. So hopefully, Joe, there's an audio one too. Okay, so hopefully Joe's listening and and can uh, can take advantage of that if uh, if it makes sense for him to do so. But uh, you know, my 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 initial feeling on this was, you know, a company can only go so far with with free tech support. You know, there there are things even even Microsoft. You know, with Windows, you'll wind up paying for support, and even Apple when you're out of warranty. Uh, you know, for, if you're past 90 days owning the machine, you're, you're into, you know, for pay, uh, pay per incident phone support, unless you buy Apple Care on the machine, or in this case, buy Apple Care for the product in, in, uh, in question. It, you know, there are, they can't, it wouldn't make sense for them to bundle in the, the cost of full support with their products. They used to, but it doesn't make sense for, for all of us to have to pay for the same level of support, right? I mean, if, uh, you know, well, I mean, I'll just use myself as an example. I don't need a huge level of support with, with Mac OS X Tiger. I can get what I need. I know how to go online and find it. I know how to, you know, or figure it out myself. Now, there are some people that, that you know, that's just not an option or they prefer not to do that. And so you can pay more, but why make the the guy that knows more, especially with Final Cut Pro? I mean, you've got some gurus out there. Why make them pay double for the product, right? Just so that uh, so that someone that's new to the product can get free support. Uh, you know, and of course, then your options are open. You're not locked in. It's not like you've paid double for the product and Apple's your only hope. You've got free reign. You can go to any one of a thousand. You know, file uh, not FileMaker. Well, you could. Uh, you can go to any one of a thousand Final Cut experts, which would probably be better in Joe's case than FileMaker. But uh, you know, who can help you with this? And maybe even somebody that can come to your shop and and work with you for an hour, and and that may actually be a, a very good option. So you know, there's there's that whole mm-hmm. Apple Consultants Network out there, and yep. uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with using that. Um, that there's you know, there's a lot of benefit to that. So yeah, I don't know, I really expect you to pay for my support costs. Mm-hmm. 
you I know should you subsidize. You want me to subsidize it? It's like taxes, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I do remember. I mean, gosh, I remember when they included a, you know, schematics. Yeah. With the machine, like some of the early uh, Apple machines. Yeah. They give you, you know, so you knew exactly what was going on inside. Now that's probably and not now, very And now, feasible. of course, they, they sue websites who publish uh, links to the service manuals, right? Did you hear about that last week? Something no. Somethingawful.com. Somebody in the forums over at Something Awful. Um, funny site. Yeah, funny site, but not for the kids. So, you know, no. consider yourself warned. Um, or not for the fainted heart either. But, you know, somebody in the forums just posted a link to the MacBook Pro service manual. And uh, and Apple Legal got all over something awful. And, you know, the guy said, well, wait a minute. I didn't, you know, I'm not hosting this file. Oh, did he have his lawyer? <laughs> I don't the think he The guy who he, he, yeah, he pretends is his lawyer. That's right. And write very silly letters. I don't think. I don't oh, think it's so either. funny. Yes, oh, Krabs, I know. I think, was his name. Yeah. yeah he says, oh, you yeah. know, I got my lawyer. Yeah. Uh, you can't sue somebody for linking to something you don't like. I don't think so. I, you, I mean, you go to the people, uh, at least in this country, right? Yeah. I yeah. Know. And I think, I don't think it was linked to a server in this country. I think that was part of the issue. So, but anyway, uh, so that's, you know, that's our feelings on support. And here's something that, that sort of leads, leads into this from, uh, from Doug. Mm. Hey, Doug from Connecticut. How you doing? A uh, long time listener, couple time caller. Uh, I have a question for you. I, um, I know one of you has a MacBook Pro, yep. and I recently myself, but I bought a refurbished unit, and um, it's 100%, except I have the little wine problem, which I know a lot of people on the Apple side have talked about. And, uh, heated. <laughs> and I also had the, well, it seems a little warm sometimes, but that's really not me. My wife was using it the other day, and she said, wow, it's getting pretty hot. Talking about the laptop, of course. Um, just curious if uh, you saw those posts where people have actually opened the MacBook Pro and noticed that the thermal grease was kind of globbed onto all the processor yeah. chips, and they reapplied it with a nice um, coat of like some kind of special silicon, low, um, like uh, some, some good some good silicon gel. Sorry, and um, they said the heat drops, um, the temperature drops uh, a lot. I'm just curious if you guys are ever considering something like that. I know it's a little dangerous, so avoid your warranty, and I, I'm probably not going to do it myself. And the wine issue um, seemed to go away for me, but I'm just curious if you guys have any um, thoughts on that, and if it's something you've experienced on your machine, and uh, anything you've done to um, uh, fix that. Anyway, it's a great show. Keep up the good work, and I look forward to uh, listening to your next podcast. See you guys later. Bye-bye. Thanks, Doug. Um, yeah, I, I'm the one with the MacBook Pro, and no, I haven't had the wine issue. Uh, as far as the heat issue, I'm not sure if mine is within tolerance or 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 not. It seems hot, but again, it you know, like you said, it it's it's livable. Um, and no, I I wouldn't take my computer apart. And, and this is something that's fascinated me <laughs> reading all this. First of all. Despite the fact that I've worked on computers for years, I am a chicken when it comes to laptops. So I'll just state that right out of the gate. But even even still, even if I wasn't, every single one of these MacBook Pros that's out there is under warranty. And 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 I'm, I'm, this is more directed at the the folks that that post to these forums uh, or that have been posting to the forums, not 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 you in particular, Doug. Uh, what makes you think that it's a good idea? for your first path of a solution to go 
and rip your computer open to, you know, change out the processor spooge. Why would you want to do that? Why, why wouldn't you call Apple first? It, you know, everyone that I've talked to that's had this problem and called Apple has gotten a satisfactory resolution out of it. Apple's swapping these machines out like hotcakes, which is kind of a funny analogy. But anyway, uh, I just, I don't get it. You know, everybody complains about this, even on the Apple support boards, and none of the complainers, it seems, go and and just call Apple. You know, Joe had a problem with Final Cut Pro. He tried the support boards, couldn't get an answer there, and then he called Apple. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, don't rip your computer open. I'll guarantee you that if you're listening to this in the year 2006, your MacBook Pro's under warranty. No question about it. They did not start shipping them in 2005, you know. So, uh, and then you got a year warranty minimum on the thing. And if you bought AppleCare, you get more. So, just go and, if, and just call them up, right? I mean, what's the... If there's a problem, I mean, they've yeah. gotten rated, though some people will say they're biased, but, you know, consumer reports and yeah. all that. I mean, they... You know, if you got a case, I've had to deal with AppleCare, you know, they're, they're uh, they, they work support people. I'm sure you have on, on many occasions. And yeah. they'll try to do the right thing as long as you're not like, you know, oh, it got a little smudge on the, you know, right. something, <laughs> which I've seen that too. Uh, you know, speaking about the wine, from the, the, you know, yeah. certain uh, <laughs> things uh, yeah. about the Mac whining. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's more, it's more than the MacBook whining here. <laughs> Some users expect perfection. Yeah, well, Which... these things are mass produced. You got to, and and it's revision. You know, one point I know they've been through four motherboard revisions, but still, it's you know one point of this product. It, there's going to be issues. You you know you got to know that going in. You just got to you know expect it. It's fine. I you know what, one thing I will state. I've I've sent quite a few things into AppleCare. I know you have too, John. Hmm. And in general, when you're calling tech support. My feeling is, you know, the guy on the the guy or or girl, uh, woman, whatever, Gal. the person on the other end of the phone, uh, <laughs> is the only person in the world that can help you at that point. So I find being extra courteous and very polite to them, and over, ever so thankful what? for them helping you, no, gets no, me. No, 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 you got to scream yeah, at them. Right, that's right. Yeah, you, you got to put the weight of the world on their shoulders. Right. They, <laughs> if you abuse them. Then they'll want to help. Then you. they'll want to help you. Exactly. That's the logic. No, seriously. Think about it. Yeah, I'm always very nice to them. You know, thank them. I, you know, I always explain to them. Look, I know this isn't your problem. It's my problem. I appreciate mm. you taking the time, and that gets them really helpful. And then and, if you do get to a point where it hits a wall where they can't help you, you can say, "Listen, just for my own satisfaction, would you mind passing me along to a second level support?" So that I can, you know, at least be, you know, have have a second opinion here and get through it. And if at that point they say, uh, no, I think I've given you the right answer, then you then you can get snotty with them because, of course, you've given up on them and it's time to move on. Then you say, do right. you know who I am? Oh, my God. No, I, I don't do that. <laughs> or usually. I know Steve. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> we can erase that. Yeah, yeah, don't can, say no. you know Steve unless you actually know Steve. Unless you happen to know In which him. case. Yeah, then just call Steve. Yeah, he'll get you. I'm sure there's a... Whole different support department for uh, here's for the secret code you friend, gotta friends of Steve. Of course, can we tell them the secret code to access you know the special support if, line? If you know it, man, tell me. <laughs> I don't have it. I can't tell you. Okay, all right. But yeah, they've been great when I've dealt with them. Yeah. yeah. Even one time I was like, you know, it was that long drawn out repair thing. I'm like, you know, you're losing right. money every time you speak to me, and he's like, yeah, I know. That's why we're trying to wrap so this we're up. To, right. We're gonna fix this up fix, fast. So. All right. Last week, we uh, ran a comment about 
a stu- a teacher rather that was having trouble opening WordPerfect files sent to him from his students. And uh, Alan actually wrote in with I'd fail him. Wow. With the yeah, well, Alan wrote in with the answer uh, with with a potential answer, and he says I was just listening to uh, the show, thought I'd pass along a tip. I don't know about works files, but Abbey Word, which is freeware from abbeyword.com, has done wonders for me for WordPerfect files. He does programming for a number of uh, government agencies and the FBI still, oh, they're going to come get us, still uses WordPerfect as their document standard. Yeah, a lot, a lot of government agencies use WordPerfect as their document standard still. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's it. Government efficiency <laughs> at its finest, according to Alan. So uh, try abbeyword.com to, uh, to, open, to open up those files and, and perhaps that'll... Uh, That'll take care of it. Mm. And then moving on to boot camp, we actually had two emails here, and I'm going to try and get them going in the right order. Of course, I can't find the first one here. That's uh, I don't know why I can't find this. All right. Well, we're just going to run the second one then. Uh, about running Windows XP on an external drive, Aaron wrote in and uh, says he was surprised to hear that uh, – Surprised to hear us say that this was impossible. I've been running this very setup for the last two weeks. Initially, I ran into the problem that your listener described. After the first phase of Windows setup, the machine would reboot and Windows would then halt with an inaccessible boot device error code. I don't give up easily. Undeterred, I went looking for a solution to this as I didn't want to divide up my new MacBook Pro's hard drive, which is actually not a bad thing. Uh, I'd much rather just run Windows on those rare occasions when I actually want to run Windows from an external drive and keep all of the space on the internal drive for OS X. It took a day or two for me to track it down, but there is a solution. This is not an out-of-the-box solution. There's no setup option in XP that will allow you to do this or anything. It involves a bit of INF file editing and reburning a new copy of Windows with the modified files. I'm no hacker, but from what I understand, this technique basically forces Windows to stop treating the USB system as an input device and start treating it as a mass storage device, preventing Windows from restarting it during boot-up. He did give us a link, link to the uh, tutorial, says, and, and of course we'll put that in the show notes, and he says he's been running it for about two weeks, and it works just fine. Uh, he says it is a bit slower than running Windows XP on an internal drive, uh, but for whatever reason, that's not unexpected, I guess due to the speed of maybe his USB drive. Uh, as far as he can tell, everything works exactly as it would if the OS were running from an internal drive. Actually, the one question I would have is... Does it, you know, if we're not treating the USB subsystem as input devices anymore, Mm -hmm. does it recognize an external USB keyboard? Um, But my guess is, my guess is it would once it, once it fully came up, it must just be during the boot process that, uh, that it switches that around. And the speculation I would have, you know, I was doing a little, not very deep USB work, but I was reviewing some uh, books for another reason. Yeah. And there are different modes. There's like a a block transfer mode where USB really opens up to do big transfers. And then there's a, and this is more the packet size. And I wonder if it maybe has something to do with what drivers are switched into Windows at what time. And that at some point they're really not meant to deal with anything except an input device. So that, you know, Huh. Fiddle with the bus or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Just yeah. a little speculation. I could be totally off base, but sure. maybe there's something to it. Because I, from what I've seen, at least in one aspect, USB does differentiate between uh, whether it's a, a bulk transfer device or right. you know a, a user interface device that doesn't send a heck of a lot of data. Yeah, yeah. But that's, that's a good true. hack. Did Did you look in? Um, yeah. So it does involve fiddling with 
some really low level stuff. Yeah, apparently you got to yeah you got to burn a new Windows installation CD or something. So no, I I didn't bother doing it here, but but thought it was interesting that uh, but it's there and and of course presumably uh, Longhorn or Vista or, Vista yeah whatever whatever, whatever we're going to call it. How long is that delayed now? Ah, I heard no, another so. report. <laughs> yeah, actually that's right. I heard another one. Um, <laughs> speaking of reports, did you hear that the uh, the the Beatles lost the. Uh, the lawsuit to, to Apple, Apple Core lost to Apple Inc. Oh, yeah. So everybody gets to just kind of move on. Although well, I Ap- think there was a lot of confusion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the last time I walked in a store, I wanted to buy a, a Beatles album, and I came out with a, with a computer. I mean, I know, and and Paul lost money on that deal. <laughs> and you know, we got to give him all he can. You know, Paul's going to be sixty four this year. That magical age that he uh, sang about <laughs> low those many years ago. Never thought he'd make it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know, I know there was more to the suit than... Uh, yes. It's just, guys, come on, grow up. Yeah, and maybe we'll see Beatles songs on uh, on, I, on the iTunes Music Store, which would probably be a, a nice thing for all involved. Everybody's happy. Speaking of things that... Except the lawyers. No, they were really happy. Apple's, Apple actually asked for uh, for their legal expenses to be covered, and the judge denied that. And they said, no, 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 you know, hmm. you, you win, but, but you're paying your own legal expenses. They were asking for $2.6 million worth of legal expenses here. So don't say that the lawyers walked away unhappy. They uh, okay. they walked away very, very happy. Yeah. Uh, we uh, Speaking of other things that, that uh, came up in the news, this other thing, actually, there was no press release about it. It was, I think it appeared probably on Version Tracker and Mac Update. Uh, uh-huh. I, I caught it on a, a little blog post, and I think we're going to have something quick about it at T, TMO tomorrow. TiVo released a universal binary version of their TiVo desktop. It works with <sighs> Tiger. It works with, it, it works exactly as you would expect it to. There's still no TiVo to go. However, mm-hmm. an enterprising little, and I don't know why the guy was digging in TiVo's P-list files, but anyway, <sighs> he was, found yet another option. Uh, normally in, in, in TiVo desktop, and TiVo desktop, for those of you that, that don't have TiVo, or don't have a Series 2 TiVo, allows you to stream your music and photos from your Mac to your uh, your TV or entertainment center or whatever you've got, which it can be really handy, uh, depending on how you've got your, mm-hmm. your house set up. And we use it for music all the time, so it's nice to have that functionality back. Eventually, and by eventually, I mean within the next two months, uh, TiVo has said that they're going to have the... Uh, TiVo to go functionality in this, meaning you can actually take shows from your TiVo, copy them back to your Mac, watch them on your Mac and burn them to a DVD if you so choose. So, uh, but it's not there yet. That that's, that's, that's still coming. However, this guy dug in there and found that there was a third option in the TiVo desktop. So instead of just music and photos, there was a tab for video and he found a way to enable this, and it's really easy to do it. It requires typing one line and changing a default. And then you can actually take any MPEG-2 video, or if you've used a piece of software like Galleon, the, the open-source TiVo uh, interface utility, to, to suck any files down from your TiVo, you can actually put them on your Mac and stream them back to your TiVo. So any MPEG-2 and then any .TiVo files, uh, it will play back to your TiVo. So, uh, so you know, they, they are expanding this thing. And, of course, you know, if you, if you enable this other feature, obviously TiVo's not going to support it. Uh, but, uh, 
worth a worth a shot and worth a mention, especially if you're if you're running a uh, an Intel Mac and it it runs fast. It's way faster than the uh, previous one. It's using much less of my processor on the MacBook Pro uh-huh. to uh, to do things. So oh, here's a, something new, something What's else that? new. What's that? So you know, it was actually um, uh, about a week ago where you know I was up and uh, was watching Twenty Four. Yeah. Which, which we're going to do in a couple of minutes here. Yeah. Yeah, and there was a new commercial. Watching it on my TiVo, mm. and there was a new Apple commercial. They've got a they've got a slew of them. Yeah. You know, it's really great the first time you see it. Yep. And you know, it's really great the first time you go to the Apple page and you hear it and see it. Yeah. I used to set Apple as my homepage for my browser, <laughs> but now I don't until they get over their kind of little fascination with having a movie on the homepage yeah. and it always loading QuickTime. Yeah. I don't know. I, it, and it's just, to me, any page that immediately launches into lo- running I, I don't a video like yeah. is kind of annoying. Guys, can yeah. you put a cookie or something there saying, you know, Been there, cut it that. out? Yeah. <laughs> So I know that I mean the, the commercials are, are very nice, but but to, to blast somebody like that because usually I go to their homepage just to see if there's any new. Every now and then they'll surprise us. That's right. Oh yeah, they've been known to. Uh, um, room, to the rumors are all saying that they're going to surprise us tomorrow morning. So we'll see. Uh, really? But yeah. To force a commercial down my throat every time I go to your homepage. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, That's my little mini rant. There you go. So. I you know we uh, I want to thank everyone again for taking the time to go over to Podcast Alley and vote for us. We're actually still uh, in the top 10. I believe we're number nine at the moment. But, you know, I was reading through uh, when you go and vote over there, if you haven't done it, uh, it also allows you to optionally leave a comment. And there was one comment there that really kind of summed up exactly for me. And I, I'm going to assume that, that there's at least some some of this that resonates with John too. why we started doing the show and what this, you know, what this kind of meant for us. And, and the comment was from David F. And he said, remember when computing was a fun hobby? It wasn't something that the suits have tried to turn into a money printing machine. It was a toy. It was a challenge. It was a world to explore. When I listen to the Mac Geek Gab, I feel almost like those days never really left. I, you know, there you go. That, to me, that's, that's why we do this, because it's fun for us. And hopefully it's fun for, for those of you that, uh, that choose to join us here and listen yeah. and participate. So. We like to have a little fun, too, because, Absolutely. you know, when you get down to it, I mean, we're both sitting in a room for, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we've got to have fun somehow. Yeah. Yeah. All, all work we're gonna and no do it play. by having, having dazzling banter and, uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, some of these comments are, uh, yeah. Yeah, they're great. Thanks, folks. For, hey, uh, there they are. So, uh, oh, the band, that's right. The band. Yeah. Oh, you know, I did want to talk about one little utility that I found. And I was actually interviewed for, oh, I can't remember the name of the podcast and I didn't write it down. It's not out yet, so I'll, I'll tell you next week. Uh, but I was interviewed for another Mac podcast today and, and they asked me about utilities and I mentioned this and I wanted to mention it on the show here. It's called KeyQ. Uh, Jeff Price told us about it. It uh, What it does, it, it sort of harkens back to our discussion of the command line, uh, sorry, of the command key and command key equivalents uh, to menu options. Sometimes you're looking for something and you don't want to have to hunt through all the menus just to find the command key equivalent. What this does is it allows you to hold down the command key for a set period of time, one second, two seconds, five seconds. And after that interval, it displays sort of a translucent window with every command key equivalent for all of the command keys, you know, for all the menu items that are that are listed. So you can look at it quick, hit the key you want, and you're out of there. 
very, very handy little thing, and it, it actually works very well. So we'll put a link to that in the show, show notes. Massility, I don't know, whatever. It's called KeyQ. You'll, you'll see it if you look in the show notes tomorrow morning. And Michael will put it in the notes now. And we love you, Michael. <laughs> uh, I More think that's it. We're out of here, right? We are? We're done. Don't we have... No. We haven't... No, we're done. We're, we're at okay. like 44 minutes. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> uh, make sure you go to Portable Media Expo if you're interested in anything to do with podcasting. That should be a, a fun little show. Uh, John and I were there last year, and it was actually a, a very refreshing trade show, so I'm hoping that some of that vibe will last. Same place, year. right? Same place. Uh, it's Don't late... go to Ontario, Canada by mistake. That's right. <laughs> I almost booked a flight to Ontario, Canada last year. Instead uh, of California. I did. Yeah. Who, kn- who knew about Ontario, California? We're stuck in the Northeast here. Yeah. Uh, of course, this podcast was downloaded from Cashfly Hosting. If you want to sponsor the podcast, you can talk to the folks at the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. We've got more Gmail invites, although they're not replenishing them as fast as they used to. We've Ooh. still got plenty. So if you plenty. want a Gmail invite, you have an audio comment, you have something to say, something to tell us, something to tell everyone else. Send it in. Mac Geek Gab at MacObserver.com. Skype it to Mac Geek Gab. And the phone number is John. 206-666-GEEK. There it is. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for staying subscribed. We really appreciate it. We appreciate everything you do. And we'll see you next week. And don't get caught. <laughs> you stole my line. It was in the notes. <laughs> I thought you forgot. I didn't forget. <laughs> <laughs>